We're starting the sermon a little early today, and you'll see why towards the end. But today in our Habakkuk series, Answers in Silence, we are going to see this man turn from worrying and wailing, and we're going to see him wait and then worship God. It's going to be a remarkable turnaround in the life of Habakkuk that we're going to witness in the text today. So if you have your Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is five books before the first book in the New Testament, Matthew. So if, that's, if it's hard for you to find, just think of it that way. Turn back five books, you'll find Habakkuk. And since we last heard from him, in chapter 2, the entire chapter was God speaking to Habakkuk. But since we last heard from Habakkuk, he was on that watch post. And he said, I don't understand what's happening in my life right now. I don't get why the Chaldean, this bitter, hasty nation whose own might is their God, I don't understand why, God, you're sending them to judge us. But I'm going to listen, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to hear what you have to say. God does answer him, and now Habakkuk has done a complete 180. And in chapter 2, some of the things that Habakkuk heard from God in this prayer to God, he heard God respond with, the righteous will live by faith. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Then we heard God say, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And what a powerful truth that is, that is yet to be seen, but will happen one day. And then we heard at the very end, right before we have chapter 3, God says there in verse 20 of chapter 2, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. And it may not make much sense what's happening in Habakkuk's life. If you're here, this is your first Sunday in this series. This is part four of five. Next week is our grand finale, which you definitely don't want to miss on this whole, the capstone of this whole book. But Habakkuk is truly learning to trust God even when he doesn't understand God. And part of this chapter today is going to be unfolding a blueprint of how we can change the way we think when we're in the storm, when we're in the, when we're in the valley, we're in that moment of silence. And I like to think of it this way, okay? We're going to go from a freshman-level mindset, and we're going to graduate on into JV, into the sophomore, junior year, into that varsity level, the senior level of thinking. If you think about it when you first come to Christ, and this is pretty common, this is pretty basic, this is what happens to most of us, when we have a relationship with God and we're, we're a babe in Christ, we get to know him, a lot of us can think, maybe we won't verbalize it this way, but we can think, wow, God, I'm giving my life to you, I'm here to serve you, and look at me, I'm better than 95% of the other people that I know. I'm talented, God, isn't it great that I'm on your team? You're, you better be glad that I, that I committed to you, that I'm here for you, that I'm worshiping you, that I'm going to live for you. I'm here for you, and I have a lot to offer. Has anybody ever thought that? I mean, I, I, I'm raising my hand. I have thought that in the past. But then when you get into the Bible and you start reading God's word, you quickly find out, wow, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm worse than I thought I was. You start comparing yourself to God and looking at his holiness, the truth of who he is in comparison to you, and there's a stark contrast. In this, this freshman anthropology 101 mindset now turns into, 
whoa, God doesn't owe me anything. As a matter of fact, I owe God, and I need to live for him. And as you remove the pride and those layers of, of I'm something, I got something to offer God, and you start seeing that God, by his grace and by his mercy, is going to use me despite myself, eventually then you can graduate into this, this last level of, of thinking. I'm calling it right now the, the varsity level thinking where it's, it's for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Not only does God not owe me anything, I owe God everything. Because everything that I have been given in my life, everything beyond the wrath of God is a gift from God. And that's the mindset that Habakkuk starts speaking here in this series. So hopefully you're there in Habakkuk chapter 3. He is actually having his doubts, his fears roll away into confidence, hope, and purpose. Because even in those moments of silence, he has the proper view of God. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. That's going to be our text for today. And then we're going to break this down into the three specific ways that you can turn from what I'm calling sorrow to song. So let's read that in Habakkuk 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigianoth. More on that later, all right? I know you're wondering, what is that? I had no idea what that was until this week, but it's great. Verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth, earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague, followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed, and raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth to its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place. At the light, your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. There is a lot here. And do you see the difference in the tone of Habakkuk right now? We're, we have so much to unpack, 
But the first way that we can turn sorrow to song, first point today that you see in the first few verses here of Habakkuk is to remember the mercy of God. Remember the mercy of God. That's what we have going on here. And his questions have turned to confidence. The Chaldeans are still coming. Nothing has changed as far as the circumstances, right? Nothing has changed. And if you've been with us all along or if you're new, if, you, if this is a little confusing to you in this chapter, really is what's going on is the Chaldeans. These are the Babylonians. This is Nebuchadnezzar. God is sending them to judge the nation of Israel because they have strayed far, far from God. These men are ruthless. And at first, Habakkuk was completely scared to death that they were coming. As a matter of fact, if you look at the very, very outset of this entire book in chapter 1, verse 2, this is how, this is stage 1, this is act 1 of Habakkuk. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry out to you violence and you will not save. That first cry is a, is a sorrow, it's like a sob. And the second cry that you see in that verse literally means a scream. Okay, that's what he's feeling right now with the pain of his country and the place that they're at. God answers him and says, I'm sending the Chaldeans. That answer doesn't help him at all because this is his next response in Acts 2. In verse 12, Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have, rem you have, you have what is this, ordained them as judgment? And you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So in the midst of this questioning now, Habakkuk has gone from just pure crying out, sobbing, sorrowful. Now he's actually questioning God, but he's doing it in a way that he's reminding himself of the truth of who God is. You are the rock. You have ordained this as judgment. You are the holy one. Oh, Lord, this is Jehovah. You are a redeemer. You, you will save me. So he's remembering the truth about God. And remember, this is the part where we talked about you can't trade what you know to be true for what you don't know. You can't make that exchange. So often in life, we want to question God. It's the why God and where is this coming from? What's going on? We're trading what we know to be true about God for what we don't know. And that always brings disappointment. That always brings despair. So we can't do that. We have to follow this model and in the midst of questioning say, I know you're true. I know what's true about you and I know that you love me. I know that you care for me. It doesn't matter that I don't understand this other side of it. I get that you love me. You sent Jesus to die for me. So that's where Habakkuk has come from. Now he's at this point where he's truly saying, look, God, you're going to provide. Even though this enemy is coming, you are here for me. And the way he's actually processing this entire thing is he's remembering the mercy of God. So verse 2, O Lord, I have heard the report of you in your work, O Lord, do I fear in the midst of years. Revive it. The fear of the Lord is a very misunderstood concept. And for, for many of us, we can just think, well, wow, if I want to get to know someone, if I want to become close to someone, fearing them is the opposite of what I should be doing, right? I should just learn to love them. But with God, the Holy One, the closer we get to him, the more we have awe and reverence and respect for God. So a fear of God is a very healthy, balanced thing that we all need to grow towards because we see that God is not like us. 
And as, as he remembers all the things that God has done, and as a matter of fact, throughout all these verses, he's actually remembering all these specific things that God has done in the life of his na- uh, in the lives of his nation, Israel. Okay, when you see things like scatter the rivers, he's actually making a reference back to parting the Red Sea when the Israelites were escaping bondage in Egypt. When the sun stood still, does that sound familiar to anyone? This is when Joshua and the Israelites were fighting the Ammonites, and they needed some OT to continue that battle, to win that battle, and God had the sun stand still for gameplay to continue. We could take a deep dive and honestly preach an entire sermon on all of the things that he points out here, um, the pestilence, the plagues. He's always he's pointing back all these, all these things that he remembers about the mercy and the grace of God from his nation's history. And he's using that to say, this is the same God right now who loves me, who is for me right now. And what is the ultimate thing that you and I have to look back to when we're in these dark moments? The mercy of God in the fact that he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die for you and me. Okay? We could have nothing else going for us, but if you have found Jesus as your Savior by grace through faith, confessed your sin, and given your life over to Jesus Christ, you have more than you ever deserved. Not to mention all the good extra gifts that God has done throughout your life. So we're going to talk more about that as well. But remembering the mercy of God is critically important and a shiggy enough. Let's talk about that. I, I, I tease you already with this. Verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to the shiggy enough. Is that a person? Is this a place? Like, what is this? So I researched this, and it's actually a type of song. It's a genre of music. So now, this is why I said he is turning sorrow to song. He's actually taking a prayer, and he's putting this prayer to music because he's so confident in his God. And this isn't just any song. You would think, all right, if you're going to be singing in this moment, I know what I would be singing. I would take them some melancholy like Coldplay maybe or I don't know, like some emo country Abbott Brothers. Something. I mean, that doesn't even make sense really. But I'm, I mean, I'm just fishing for something. I, I don't know. I would have a sad type of song, right? Who likes sad music sometimes? Don't we like to just, just to milk it in and, and take some, and some sad music sometimes? That's the opposite of what he's doing here. This is a wild, enthusiastic, triumphant, celebratory song, okay? So this is as jacked as it gets. This is the rest of this chapter. It's actually put to music, and I don't want to spoil the grand finale next week when we finish up this series, but at the very, very end of the book, it says, to the choir master with stringed instruments. Wouldn't you just love to hear all those guitars and all those stringed instruments going off with this chapter that was this prayer that was turned into a song of triumph. So in the midst of staring down the barrel of the Chaldeans, he's good. God, you got this. You're going to protect me. It's going to be all right. And I'm going to sing of who you are because I'm remembering your mercy. Habakkuk's looking back so he can move forward. It's not about seeking things from God anymore. As a matter of fact, when he got the answer, when he got the information, it only made him a little more worried. So it's not about that. Now it's just about seeking God. I need your presence. I need you. I don't have to know more information anymore. I just need to know who you are. You are the Holy One. 
You have ordained this. Please revive this. In wrath, remember mercy. This reminds me of James 2.13, where we see the heart of God. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God will use judgment 100%. He has to. It fits his character of who he is. God is a just God, a righteous, holy God who will judge sin. But God will always use that judgment to bring us closer to him or to bring himself glory, either one. It's your choice. <laughs> but in mercy, remember, in, in, in judgment, remember mercy, excuse me. And that is the heart of God. He, he is a merciful God. So when Christian rhetoric and the power of positive thinking aren't enough, you need eternal truth. And to turn into having a raucous worship song, the only way that you can make that happen in your life is if you know your God and if you have God's word hidden in your heart. Because it's hard to sometimes get God's word in your thoughts, in your mind, in your heart, when you're in the middle of the season of silence, when you're in the middle of the storm clouds hovering overhead. It's really hard to do that, which is why it's so important to do this before that happens. So even if you're not in one of these seasons of struggle right now, some of you are, some of you aren't. We all need this review. We all need to hear this. We have to hide God's word in our hearts so we can know the truth of who God is, even in those dark times, and fall back on that truth. We have to do that. When dark days come, it's hard to get God's word inside of you, so you have to ahead of time get God's word in your heart. Think about it this way. It's easier to order off the menu when you know the menu, right? When you go to a restaurant, your first time there, you don't know what is good, you don't know what this place really even offers. It's kind of overwhelming sometimes. If you've ever been to the Cheesecake Factory, very first time you go to the Cheesecake Factory, they give you a book. It's like, what do I order? I, have, I need 30 minutes right now. But when you've been there numerous times, you know the menu by heart. I know what I like. I like the nachos. It's great. Or if I go to Dairy Queen, I mean, I know people, my kids go to the Dairy Queen for the very first time. They have no idea. Well, it's just like you're getting an ice cream cone. But they, they, they would spend 80 hours if, they, if I gave it to them trying to decide what to get because there's so many options. For me, for Dairy Queen, I've had the same thing since 2003. I've ordered a strawberry banana blizzard. And half the time, the workers don't know even how to make that. But I tell them how to make it. Strawberry banana blizzard is the best. I know the menu by heart. I know it better than the even worker knows it. <laughs> and that's what I order. It's not even hard. When you know the truth of who God is, and you know what God's word says, you know how much he cares for you, how much he loves you, it's a thousand times easier to remember his mercy and to remember that he's going to use this pain, he's going to use this struggle for something that's actually good. So it's so important that we do that. To get to the point where we turn sorrow to song, we have to build up this varsity-level mindset. It's not just about me anymore. It's not about what I can offer God. No, it's, God, you saved me. You did all these things for me and through me, and you know what? You're going to do it again, and I'm going to trust you for that. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. Um, don't remember all the sin that you've done. Throw that into the depths of the bottomless sea. But do remember how God forgave you and changed you, and he revived your heart. He actually didn't just revive your heart, because what is revival? Revival is actually making something that is, that is completely 
dead. Um, or it really, revival is something that's just sleeping in dormant and making it come alive, right? Like, you hear people sometimes say, we got to pray for revival in our country. Well, really, that's actually not 100% correct because our, our lost and dying people in our, the lost world in our country, those people who've never known Jesus Christ, they don't need revival. They need a resurrection, right? The church is what needs revival. The church is what needs to wake up out of their slumber. And when we do that, when we have revival, when we step back up to who we were called to be, and we're agents of change, we're ambassadors for Christ, then God will use us to bring new life to the world who needs resurrecting. That comes through Jesus, and he uses us to do that. So that's, that's important to keep straight. But yes, here's the next logical step. We got that part. Remember the mercy of God? The next logical step comes into the rest of these verses, 3 through 15. Meditate on the glory of God. As you're remembering all the good things he's done for you, all the things, and what is mercy? The difference between mercy and grace, we've gone over this the last few weeks. Grace is God giving you something you don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding something from you that you actually do deserve. There's a difference there. So you're remembering the mercy. You're actually now stepping into this period where we meditate on the grace of God, and we're looking at, or or you're, you're meditating on the glory of God, and you're looking at all the grace that he just lavishly bestows upon us. In verse 3, this whole comes from Teman, Mount Paran. Uh, you may have no idea what this is talking about unless you're, you're freaky good at uh, Middle Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern geography, uh, which I doubt many of us are. But this is just a reference to the east. And when you look at verse 4, this is all east of where Habakkuk lives. Verse 4, his brightness was like the light, Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. This is actually a word picture. The glory of God is, is coming like the rising sun in the east. Sun rises in the east, and it sets in the west. And we're looking back to Mount Paran. This is where the sun is rising, just like God's glory is going to rise in my situation, in my moment of silence. God is going to come through. Prayer is so much more than seeking things from God. It's meditating on who he is and what he has done. It's about seeing God, meditating on the glory of God, and then confidently asking him to show up in our lives. Meditation is the opposite of emptying your mind. Christian meditation is a lot different than than Far East meditation. I mean, if you empty your mind, who do you think is going to come into your mind? I mean, you're opening the door for, for, for anything, right? Anything. But Christian meditation, when we, look at, when we take an overall comprehensive view of Scripture, Christian meditation is actually this middle ground of you talking to God, waiting and listening, and then having him speak back to you. It's probably not going to be an audible voice. Most of the time, it's not going to be. But it's a sense of direction, a sense of assurance and confidence that you get when you take the time to pause everything and to focus and to think about what he wants to do and how he could change you. It's internalizing the word of God. That is meditation. Meditation is so underrated in our culture. 
Meditation to the heart and to your soul is the same thing that marination is to meat, if you want to think of it that way. Unless you're one of those amazing people who watch Food Network all the time and you can grill the perfect steak with like butter and salt and pepper, you know exactly what to do. I did that once because I watched a ton of YouTube videos and then I waited too long and I forgot how to do it again and I've never been able to replicate it. Um, like, so I don't even try anymore, but usually you want to marinate your meat. That's, that's, that's a good go-to, right? That, that, that takes out the perfection uh, of the professionalism. Just marinate your meat. But the problem a lot of times, even with the marination, is if the only way you could really mess that up is if you don't let it marinate long enough. Am I right? Are you with me on that? Like, you just, you, you take all the time to set up the marinade, you put the meat in, throw it in the refrigerator, and you only leave it in there for 30 minutes. You know what? You've just, you've just gone halfway, but you haven't gone far enough, right? Meditating on who God is is so valuable, so important, but half the time, we don't give it enough time. And in our culture that is just go, 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 go on to the next thing, move on to the next thing. We live in this society where we can microwave our food, where we can have on-demand television. Everything has to be now. It fights and it grates against the grain of us truly taking the time to stop and meditate on the truth of God's word. As Christians, we have to be countercultural in this area. We have to become the hippie old soul that says, I'm going to go for a walk in the woods I'm just going to pray and talk to God. I'm not going to let anything else distract me. I'm going to turn off my phone. And this is where you need to get creative. Actually, I was talking with a couple of the guys yesterday at, the, at, at Renew at the men's conference. We had a time there where we just, everybody got alone and we prayed for 15 minutes. We just asked God. And one of the guys told me, I just started writing down questions. I have all these questions in my life of what is next? And I just journal it all out. For you, maybe it's just, Writing, having a note in your phone where every time you think of something, you have a question, you pull it out, you type that out, and you journal all these thoughts. Maybe it's scrapbooking, I don't know. Um, start a podcast and just start. I mean, everybody else and their kid brother is, is starting a podcast. Do that. I mean, you can have your mom listen to it and, and your wife, and, 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 that, and it's good for you, right? Do whatever you have to do to meditate on the truth of who God is, to journal it, to get it down, to process it, and to meditate on the word of God. It's so valuable that we do this. That actually is biblical self-care. Self-care is super important, but if you're not careful, self-care can become like self-worship. If your self-care is actually soul care, and you're focusing on God, and you're worshiping God, that is legitimate, real, valuable soul care. Self-care. So get away from the distractions. Turn off Facebook. Turn off Instagram and Snapchat, all those other things, and just talk, pray, listen, wait. Let God respond. So valuable that you do this. Here's a Tim Keller quote. Tim Keller is a pastor in New York. He started a lot of churches. He's a very brilliant Christian thinker. He says that your struggles, excuse me, meditation is taking God's truth down into our hearts until it catches fire and begins to melt and shape our reactions to God. It's thinking a truth out 
and then thinking a truth in until it overwhelms, until the reality of God is sensed upon the heart. And that's what we have to do. So God is the one here in this chapter who, we've already read it, he scatters the mountains, he holds the oceans in the palm of his hand, and here's the thing, nothing is too big for him. Your problems, I know they seem really, really big, and I'm not trying to minimize that at all, but to God, the infinite creator who knows everything about you, who has, he actually knows the reason behind all these layers behind your problems that you don't even understand. And he is going to use those. God is going to zig before he zags. You can trust him. The just will live by faith. You can trust God even when you don't understand God. And in our life, your parents may not understand you. Your, your, your family may think you're nuts. You could have a job and your boss wants you to do something and he doesn't even get why you don't want to do it. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and you have you have kids at home all day, every day, and they're driving you crazy, and they're really needy, and they're selfish. You need to maybe just say, all right, I have to give this over to God. I need to get in my car and just take a 20-minute drive to my favorite sushi place, and I need to pray about all this right now. But we have to get alone with God, with our creator, and let him fix it. We don't need answers. We need God himself. This is how you rest and who God is. So this is the next step here. Let's graduate now from freshman thinking all the way to varsity level. We've already seen verse 13. Verse 13 in chapter 3, it says, You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. And earlier on um, in this book, we see here that God takes the weapons of the Chaldeans and he turns them against themselves. God is good. He is going to win in the end. He absolutely is. But this last point is, now that we've done these first two things, the way to go from sorrow to song, number three here, is to rest on the sovereignty of God. Rest on the sovereignty of God. And this is where we really dive into this song. Look at verse 16. I hear my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. These wicked people who God is using to judge the Israelites, Habakkuk isn't scared of them anymore. And you can just see the instruments building up, can't you? Yet I will quietly wait. God's plan will win out. The enemies will not have the last laugh. And when you are waiting for answers in silence, you have to understand, get this, your greatest need is not more information. Your greatest need is God. It's his presence. It's the truth of who he is. And even when we don't get it at all, God understands. God knows he is for you. You may think, God, why are you putting me here? Why are we doing this right now? We always fall short of truth when we jump to conclusions. When we just jump over to a conclusion. And if we do that, we don't have all the facts. We don't always have all the facts. God does, we don't. Which is why we have to wait for him, sometimes even in silence. And often, we can just be like a teenager who expects the world from their parents. 
and they're mad at their parents because their parents don't buy them the pair of shoes that they want, and they don't even think about the fact that their parent has their dad, let's say, hasn't even bought a new shirt since 2012 because he's using all of his money to buy them new clothes. And a lot of times when we're in those moments of silence and we're asking God, why, 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 why won't you tell me this? Why are you doing this? We're, we're acting the same way. And we don't even understand all the things that God is working behind the scenes, all the things that God is doing for us. We have to rest on his sovereignty. And when we do that, every obstacle is not the end of the world. It's not the end. God has a plan and he will use it. I don't know if anybody has ever come across a caterpillar. Um, this happened to me. I, I, I weirdly remember this as a kid. Uh, we came across this caterpillar, and it was getting out of its cocoon. I think my mom or dad noticed it and pointed it out to us. Okay, But if you've ever remember from fourth grade science class, if you come across a caterpillar getting out of a cocoon, don't touch it, don't do anything. You may feel tempted to help that caterpillar along a little bit, maybe just take a little like a little incision in, in the cocoon to help him a little bit. But do you realize if you do that to the caterpillar, if you help in any way, most likely that caterpillar will never become a butterfly that can fly. Because in that process of turning into a butterfly, the caterpillar has to go through the pain, go through the struggle, because as it works its way out of the cocoon, that's what pushes the blood into the capillaries of the wings so that the wings can actually fly. If it doesn't go through the struggle, and the fight, it's not going to fly. That's the way it is for us. In these moments of silence, in the periods where we have to wait on God, we don't understand God, we have to go through those struggles sometimes so that we can get close to God, so that we can depend on God. And this is the good news. This is really where it's at. Talking about remembering the mercy of God, we've already alluded to this. But your sorrow will never turn to song if you don't know Jesus Christ. The ultimate gift, the number one act of mercy in our entire lives is Jesus coming to this world, dying for us, okay? And for, if there's anyone in here who doesn't know Jesus as their savior, your sorrow will stay as, like, as sad as a Coldplay song could ever get. And that song is not gonna be a joyful, triumphant, shiggy enough. It's just not. It never will. The only way you get to that point is by saying, I have the Holy Spirit now who indwells me. I have the comforter, the helper who lives inside me because of the grace of God. And even though these other things don't quite add up, it's okay because God loves me and God is for me. Amen? Let's stand up. We're going to sing three songs now. This is why our worship service was a little different. We're going to sing three songs, and each one of these is one of the three movements that we've seen with Habakkuk. Let's respond in the truth of who God is, and let's turn our sorrow to song.